This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Byron Peters as he talks about honoring and caring for aging parents. Byron Peters serves as pastor of Christ Community Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Byron Peters helps us consider how to honor and care for aging parents. So uh, I'm Byron Peters and uh, I'm, I'm pastoring in Chapel Hill, North Carolina right now. We have four children, um, adult children. So I was telling somebody earlier, we have four kids hoping that though at least one of them will take care of us in our old age. You know, we're, we're playing the odds here, you know. But they each do have different gifts. The one says, well, I'm not going to have any hands-on care, but I'll send money, you know. So, um, so anyway, we're, uh, we're excited to, to be able to share this with you. Uh, I am uh, certainly no expert on this, but I've had a little bit of a journey myself. And, and, you know, God used this journey in my life in so many ways that um, I'm hoping, and I'm really excited to be able to actually speak on this, uh, and I hope it'll be helpful to you. Um, and by the way, if you're coming in, there are a couple of sheets running around, and I, I'd like to give you uh, one of these mini books uh, that I've written, and I'd hope to have physical copies, but we don't. But we do. Our New Growth Press will send you an ebook for free if you would just sign up, uh, give me your email. Wouldn't do that. We're going to have more copies of the booklet uh, at the New Growth Press table this afternoon. They're they're getting FedExed, so. So let me just ask, how many of you are currently taking care of or anticipating taking care of an aging parent? All right, wow. Okay, so this is uh, very much of a, of a real issue for, for many of us. And how many of you are pastors here? And you, so you certainly know you have people in your congregations that are, um, that are dealing with this. And uh, there's a, just a, it's a world of opportunity for us um, in, in this issue. Let me give you a little bit of my backstory. Both of my parents were actually very faithful in caring for their parents. My father's um, parents were about, uh, about an hour away on a farm. He was a retired pastor. He had about 200 acres to take care of. We would go every Saturday and go to the farm. And I just thought it was going because you know, I could fish and I could work in the garden and ride my motorcycle and all that cool stuff. 
and I did get to do that, but, but I realized later he was going because it was 200 acres to take care of, and they were growing old, you know, and he was very faithful in helping his parents. And my mother, so, so her mother was an hour, I mean, a, a mile down the street from us, and I would ride my bike to my grandma's house all the time. And she lived to be 102 after um, just a whole lot of stuff, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But, but my mother um, was there every day. You know, it was more of a, I'm 60 years old. It was more of Mayberry back then a little bit. I was in Owensboro, Kentucky, a town of about 50,000, and everybody knew everybody, and you kind of took care of people, and that's the way it was, and you showed up, and you did the, my grandma never drove, but there was always something in the refrigerator, and there was the apple tree in the backyard and the plum tree, and, you know, it was just sort of idyllic in many ways. And again, I thought, wow, this is just the way it is. It's just easy. It looked easy to me. Um, and then it was my turn. And it was in 2002 when my wife and I first, I think, first noticed my mom visiting us and just kind of looked a little confused. And uh, getting her home was like a big deal. And... So we're like, huh, I wonder what's going on there. And she, my, mom, my mother could work a crowd. I mean, she was incredible. She would walk into a room and know everybody, you know, and just, just fluttering around. Well, that spunkiness began to decline into sort of this brooding melancholy and loneliness that I'd never really seen in her. And there were lots of tears. My, fa my father died um, in 1994. And she remarried soon thereafter, relatively soon. Um, and then he had a stroke nine months into that, and then he was gone, you know. So, so there's this, you know, up and down experience for her. Plus, she's starting to be forgetful. And, uh, there was, you know, sometimes it was, it was sadness a lot of times. It was anger at times. Often I would call her. I began calling her more often. And by the way, it's a good idea just to call every day. Um, so I call, you know, and oftentimes the phone call was something like, ah, well, I wonder where that would be, Mom, you know, maybe, well, you know, have you, have you checked in the fridge? Well, what do you know? How did that purse crawl into the refrigerator, you know? And it's kind of like, you know, and then we, well, here's another thing you do. You make sure you take those nice diamonds off and give them costume jewelry because, uh, you know, those things get thrown away at, at times. Anyway, so we're learning all these kinds of things. You know, periodically neighbors would find her walking confused uh, when we had to take away the keys to the Cadillac that was that was tough um, after she had a little wreck so she lived for 15 years with all after her Alzheimer's diagnosis and uh, God used those years profoundly in my life and in our family's life so first it was as we begin to and and I felt like and I don't know if you, you may feel like this as well it's You've never been here before, right? And so you're trying to figure it out as you're going. And you don't know if, is it time to do this or do that? Is it time to, to get home health care? Do we need to have somebody staying with her more often? You know, and how do you determine these things? Because you've never done this before. And it became clear that she needed someone around. And God, in his incredible wisdom, provided a woman uh, who's actually a second cousin who was a nurse looking for something else to do, lived like a block away, and was one of these cheerful people. 
you know, like the perfect caregiver kind of person, you know, that walks in the room with a smile on her face. How you doing? You know, Miss Peters and, you know, up and at them. And and she just came in and took over. And it was it was incredible. So she would hire the because I'm 600 miles away. I'm in Chapel Hill. She's in Owensboro, Kentucky. My brother is in town. And this is the family dynamics, right? We've all got these family dynamics. And my brother at the time was a little bit, it kind of freaked him out. So he was there, but he wasn't really there. And my sister was where I was. So God bless Rhonda. And mom had enough resources to be able to stay at home. And Rhonda helped her. You know, then, so then came the wheelchair and then, then the ramp and then the diapers. And then after eight years, she stopped walking. So she wasn't, you know, moving anymore. Um, and then she, by 12 years, she was totally paralyzed. Um, and had this neurological arm stiffening going on. And then we moved her to Durham. My sister and I did in the back of the Astro van. Yeah, it was, it was great. We just put a lot of padding down and, you know, stopped at Wendy's and opened up the back and fed her some French fries and got back on the road, you know. And, and uh, we got her there and moved her into the nursing home that night. And, and um, I would visit her most every evening after work. And I'd drive by and feed her dinner and, you know, well, of course, I'd always check her because she couldn't ask for anything. And if you're not asking, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing, right? So, so I'd, of course, I had learned earlier how to change a diaper and not throw my back out. That took about three years before I finally realized how you roll those sheets up under them and put the new sheet and then roll them back, and then you can get it out. There are ways to do this without throwing your back out. You need to learn this stuff, right? And, of course, she couldn't ask for water, so... I didn't know if they were giving her any water and the nurse, so, you know, making sure she's drinking and I'm feeding her and telling her about my day and, and brushing her teeth and brushing her hair and then washing her hair and realizing I hadn't been washed in months, you know, and cutting her toenails. They never think about the toenails. Uh, you know, the ears and nose, make sure you get those cleaned out good because, again, those are just out of sight, out of mind for CNAs. Um, and those were years I toughened up and I learned the importance of firm but gentle loving advocacy for, for my mom um, and cultivated gospel cheerfulness in the midst of this. Well, I tell you what really helped me. I had a buddy who was in our church and he was a, training for, to be a doctor. And his, he had done like a year-long fellowship or residency or something in a, in a kind of geriatric situation. And we were working with Alzheimer's patients. And he said, you know, the thing about, about me in this situation is I can go in and um, I don't know any of these people's past. All I know is who they are now. And they are they're precious to the Lord now. They've got a life now. They're not dead yet, right? So I can move into their life as it is and help them have the best life they have now as it is. And that was helpful to me. Because it's such a temptation to live in the past. Oh, she's not what she was. No, she's not what she was. I'm not what I was either, right? But she is what she is, and she's valuable to the Lord. So we'll make the best of it. And that was a super helpful perspective for me, to not just live in the past. But, you know, when we, we had adequate resources, we had fairly good family situation. We didn't have the addicted brother or the thieving grandchild, you know, but... You know, when distance, dementia, depression, disaster, divorce, 
disintegrated relationships, deteriorating health, discouragement sets in. We may find ourselves having conversations like, Lord, I can't do this. I do not have any idea what I'm doing. Who pays for this? You know, how am I going to manage this care? I'm no medical expert. I don't know the first thing about elder care. Dad's never responded well to me anyway. Who, what makes me think he's going to respond well to me now? You know, moving into this chaos feels like death. How am I supposed to deal with my step-siblings in this? I can't handle it. But it's a tremendous ministry opportunity. It's a tremendous ministry opportunity for you, first of all. God's going to grow you beautifully. It's a tremendous opportunity for your parents to be ministered to by their children. It's a tremendous ministry opportunity for the next generation, for your children to see you ministering in Jesus' name. And I tell you what, it is a tremendous evangelistic opportunity. You know, we're always looking for evangelistic opportunities, aren't we? Like, how do you do evangelism these days? Walk into a nursing home. They will be begging for you. You'll find the door wide open. So this morning, I want to do just a few things. I want to remind us, first of all, from Scripture that God, and this is, the, this is just for me, the promise that was most precious to me, God is near to the brokenhearted. Secondly, I want to look at a few key principles from God's Word that just to orient us, and then some practical issues for you to consider. So first of all, Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is interesting. It was written during the period, the, the superscription talks about Abimelech. So it's probably the t during the, written probably during the time that, that David was fleeing from Saul. So there is a lot going on in David's life. I mean, it's... It's a rough situation. Uh, Saul is stalking him. His own family had to be moved. His parents had to be moved to the king of Moab so that Saul wouldn't kill his family. Um, his entire life was pressurized. Yet despite all this, Psalm 34 brims with delight. You know, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so he's, he's calling on his readers to celebrate God's magnificence and his deliverance. And then it's almost like God's presence for David is his food. Oh, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. So I'm reading this. I'm thinking, how can... God, how can David have that sort of joy in the midst of this pressurized situation? Now, for me, for, for years, about every few months, I would fly to Kentucky and to give uh, Rhonda a break. And, you know, it was, you know, I'd, uh, I mean, it became pretty routine. Fly to Nashville, drive up from Nashville two, two hours to Owensboro, you know, run by the grocery on the way to get the things I knew I was going to get because I wanted to cook her some, I wanted to make some soup for her, some, some chicken soup, you know. We always like that, maybe a roast. And go in and then relieve Rhonda. And then it was like three hours of frenetic activity. And, it, you know, you're coming off of your old life and you're walking into this different life. 
and it was disorienting in many ways. In those first three hours, you know, here I am trying to, I'm checking my cell phone, I'm wondering what I'm missing, you know. And then this, pretty soon I kind of settled in, you know, and I cooked some soup. And we ate very slowly. Then I'd, of course, take to the bathroom very slowly, clean her up very slowly, have the same conversation time after time. But life slowed down. And, and I, you know, I began to be like, okay, this isn't so bad. And sometimes I nap next to her, you know, and we just, we just talk or we just sit or we look at pictures. I'd sing to her. I'd tell her about the grandkids. And one tempting interpretation of that is godly son sets aside his busy life in order to go love his mother heroically, you know. Actually, the better interpretation is reluctant son is dragged kicking and screaming out of his self-referential life into a place where he can finally serve somebody and slow down and get some perspective into the presence of Jesus Christ, who is, as Psalm 34, 18 says, near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The, the, the realism of Psalm 34 seems perfectly suited for the sort of pressures that we face in caring for our parents. The pinched schedule. Because, I mean, face it, we've all got our own lives and our own kids and our own careers. And this just seems like a big interruption. The tense communication. Wow, my dad's never been short with me like that. Or my siblings have never hung up on me, you know. The growing list of the responsibilities. I mean, dad always cleaned the gutters. And now the last thing I want him to do is climb up on a ladder, you know. And as challenging as these days are, they're, they're not the defining reality of life. The defining reality of life is God is near to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. His presence is the key to this. The more the pressure, the more the heartache more all those things mount, the more I know Jesus is right here because he's made a promise. The Lord is, it's not that the Lord isn't near everywhere, right? We know that. We know he's omnipresent. But this is an interesting promise, isn't it? He's particularly near to the brokenhearted. And I tell you what, aging and dying breaks hearts. But God's near to that. Oh, wow. Now there's an interesting perspective. The more I get into this, the more I'm drawing near to Christ. So suddenly, this isn't such a scary place to be. This is actually an exciting place to be. God is near here. I'm walking to sacred, hallowed ground. It may not feel like that at all, but I got a promise from Scripture that tells me it's so. So try this experiment. If you've never been to a nursing home, and I imagine most of you have, but if you've never been there, Stop by someday after work, visit an old friend, church member, 
If it's a poorly managed facility, you'll be immediately struck by the, the noise. Every TV's on. Um, the smells and the sights. You know, you, you, it looks like a sea of despair. You walk by every room and there's people in all sorts of conditions. And it's just like, oh, oh my goodness. And then commit to keep going and introduce yourself to the staff. Get to know the doctor. Get to know the nurses. Ask their permission if you can go in and visit with people. Get to know the residents. Maybe attend their worship service. Maybe start a worship service. Just listen to their stories. Get to know them. And you'll begin to notice God's presence there. Even in the midst of broken hearts, God is subverting the reign of death by his presence among his people. And you'll see this little ecosystem. You'll begin to get eyes to see, particularly among the Christians. You'll see them caring for one another's families. It's just fascinating to see God's presence in the midst of this place where you think he's not here. No, he's, he's definitely there. And this promised nearness that David experienced in his hardship is even more lavish for the New Testament Christian because the Holy Spirit has united us to Jesus Christ as a bride to a husband, as a child to a father. Christ in you is the measure of the fullness of his presence. And when people are suffering with all that comes with aging and impending death, because you know these things, you can be bold with the gospel in ways that you feel a little sheepish in other situations. But it, I guarantee you go into some place and you say to a resident there, may I pray for you? Of course, of course, right? I mean, Psalm 34, 18, right? Psalm 121, Psalm 23. I would quote that to mother every night before I left and then turned her music on before I left after brushing her hair. God is near to the brokenhearted. And I'll tell you a little bit, a story a little bit later of how that really emphasizes this in my own life. But secondly, just a couple of other principles that elder care the primary responsibility for elder care you know this is with the family it's the primary responsibility is with the family and elder care is a team sport so those are sort of two just principles I want to touch on the primary responsibility is with the family and elder care is a team sport you know the, the competing narrative is that there are other options that are just as good for your parents as, as family care, and um, if not better, for us and for them. Um, so, you know, you don't really have to worry about it. But your involvement will be critical. Uh, buyer beware when it comes to uh, placement of your loved, beloved ones. So a couple of scriptures, of course, Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and mother as the Lord God has commanded you, so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the fifth commandment. So it's, it's the first of the table of, you know, of the commandments that are directed more toward love your neighbor. 1 Timothy 5, 
give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. Verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. After college, I spent um, a semester essentially taking care of my grandfather. I don't forget what it was. My grandmom had all kinds of issues and physical issues, and she wasn't home for some reason. She was probably had broken a bone or had a radical mastectomy or something like that. But anyway, so I was staying with Granddad, and I, I was I graduated, worked at a summer camp. I had the fall, then I was going on staff of the Campus Crusade in January. So I had that fall there. So I, I stayed with my granddad. And uh, I got to apprentice in the Academy of Aging, uh, which is a place where modesty gets surrendered. He had dementia. Chronic pain settles in. Independence dies. Long cultivated capacities to control one's temper and words and bladder evaporate. And he was an exceptionally gentle man. But, you know, whenever that, those abilities to sort of uh, manage yourself um, sort of fly away, I saw firsthand his, his episodic frustration, his impatience, as his mind and body slowly shuddered. And I came face to face with my own selfishness and my own lack of compassion. Caregiving pushed my buttons, especially for a 22-year-old ready to get on my life. Here I am stuck in the house of granddad, you know. Uh, I exposed my idols of efficiency and selfishness and pride. It was a great school for discipleship. I mean, it was just perfect for me. In fact, it was there that I learned, I really learned how to have quiet time. At those times where I had a lot of time on my hands and I thought, you know, what am I going to do? And I started writing out books of the Bible. And that has been essential to my quiet time ever since, just few verses at a time, thinking about it, because I had time. Many of us see parental care as an interruption to our goals and our lives. It's a burden. But the Holy Spirit can change that to delightful service. And, and I want to be clear, the people who have primary responsibility for your parents' lives are your parents. Right? So we don't want to be helicopter kids. As long as your parents can make decisions, they should make decisions. But as a matter of calling, there is a right way to say to the Lord, Yes, Father, thank you for my parents, and I want to see them not as an agitation, but as an opportunity. And help us to be instruments in one another's lives to grow us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he'll do. So there's just the first idea is this is a family responsibility and God will use this family responsibility in ways you can't imagine in discipling you and your children and encouraging your parents. Secondly, um, elder care is a team sport. It should be made up of family members, of church friends, of prayer partners, financial and medical professionals who can work together for your loved one's physical and spiritual benefit and for your sanity, 
frankly. You know, there's an Alzheimer's book entitled The 36-Hour Day, and that's oftentimes what it feels like. So take my grandmother. She said, I didn't get, I just, I don't get sick. Things just happen to me. And that's exactly, you know, when she was 84 or 86, she was burning checks on the back porch so no one could see the canceled checks like anyone cared, right? Well, she ends up burning her house down and burning herself, 30% of her body, third degree, breaks her hip. You know, they're like, she's going to die. Six months later, she walks out of the hospital. She's wheeled out of the hospital, uh, six skin graft operation. So, of course, I'm at the hospital a lot. I'm doing physical therapy before I knew what physical therapy was. I took my weights. I'd tell Grandma, look, Grandma, no pain, no gain. And we'd, <laughs> we'd have to, I'd have her doing just stuff, you know, to move, right? And uh, she was just tough as nails. Uh, then the broken collarbone and the shingles and the radical mastectomy and... But a, a lifetime of walking with the Lord and a, a temperament hardwired for gratitude and freedom from neurological disease kept her smiling. And her cheerful heart was just a balm to me. She was just a great listener, and she'd burn popcorn for me and throw it down on the newspapers in front of the TV. You know, just, just idyllic. Um, in fact, I remember after one surgery, she had had a pin put. She had broke, a spiral break in her femur. This is after the fire. And they put a pin in. It was too long. So they had to put her under again and put another pin in. So she's coming out of the surgery, throwing up in her little thing, you know. My dad was in there. And he said, well, Miss Mike, I'm going to head on out. And she looks up from it and says, well, hasn't it been a nice day? <laughs> you know, different generation, right? You know, and I think we went in her room. She always talked about what a great view she had from her hospital room. But we went in there one time and we looked in at the window. It was a brick wall. You know, so here it is. This is the sort of person I had to, I got to be around. You know, and there were church friends. There's my mom helping her. So it was, a, again, it was sort of, a, it seemed delightful to me, even though I know my mom, you know, for my mom, it was very difficult. Now, my mother's situation was very different than that. Where it's no longer Mayberry. We're not living close. Very different sorts of problems. Mom was a believer. She loved the Lord. But unlike Grandmom, her challenge was this maddeningly slow neurological disease. And you can grit your teeth and bear skin graft operations. It's hard, but you can do it. But how do you bear a disease that you don't even know you have, you know? And how can a caregiver bear with a loved one who forgets who he or she is? Dr. Heidi White is a geriatric care specialist, a doctor at Duke, and a friend of ours. And uh, she had a really helpful uh, perspective for me. She said, what comes with dementia is not the truth about the soul state. It's not the truth about the soul state. It's a diseased brain. But God can use even this state to bring healing and wholeness. God may use dementia to open a person to, Christian to a Christian thought for the first time. Or it may erase years of close fellowship. No matter the condition, we believe that God knows all and sees all. He will judge. Here's my bigger point. The family bears the primary responsibility for physical and spiritual care. And we don't want to lose sight of, the, of both of those. You know, mom's cognitive challenges could be somewhat, though not very much, mitigated by medical interventions. But scripture, 
exercising patience, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, good cheer in her presence, or at times the much more loving and helpful balm for her soul. So loving her required not less than, but certainly more than, getting her to the doctor's appointments, right? And that's why a team is a good idea, because it, it's exhausting. So family members, Christ-centered church, if you, if you have that, expert geriatric care. In fact, there are such, did you know there are professionals called geriatric care managers? I would go to... Um, networking group in Chapel Hill and got to know a guy named Bill Crittenden and his, his job is a geriatric care manager. So you can meet with these folks. They'll meet with you for free for the first hour. You can tell them your situation and they can kind of advise you, help you know, here's some situations. And then if you want to hire them, you can, but you don't have to. But anyway, it's good to know there are people out there who do this for a living. All right. So God is near to the brokenhearted. The family has primary, primary responsibility, but it's a team sport. Now let me just get to some practical issues. Um, and this is the, this first point is the, sort of the big takeaway in terms of practical issues. This is the big one right here. Normalize, quote, the conversation. Normalize the conversation. So Bill Crittenden, this friend of mine, the geriatric care specialist, encourages us to engage in what he calls the conversation. And he says it's really a series of conversations with our loved ones about the transitions they're facing. Here's what he says. Simple advice. He says, you know all those questions you have about how and where your parents will live, who will care for them, how much money they have, where they want to be buried. They have the same questions. So prayerfully initiate that conversation with a view toward it becoming normal, loving, honest, and regular. He says, don't approach these conversations as though you have all the answers. This is super important. He says, but as an interested and curious listener. He says, oftentimes I hear children approach their parents with a sort of ultimatum. Okay, mom, here's what needs to happen. You need to sell the house, get rid of all that junk, and move into blah, 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 blah. You know. He says, that probably won't get you very far. A much better approach is to involve your loved ones in this conversation and the decisions. Build trust as you come alongside them, respecting their inherent right and responsibility to manage their own life and determine the course of it as long as they're able to do so. And Dr. White agrees. She says professionals in her field are increasingly emphasizing the importance of helping loved ones meet their goals. And she speaks of the importance of the conversation as well. She says, help your loved ones know they have a safe environment for conversations about their future. Growing old, I love this, growing old is a lot about change. We all need to cultivate adaptability and learn to accept dependence and help. Christ designed us to not only give, but to receive care from others. And this can be difficult for older people to accept because they've always been the caregiver. 
Our conversations with them can help break down this fear by letting them know they're a valued part of the decision-making process. So let me give you some examples. She suggests things like this. Hey, Mom, can you show me that nifty pill holder thing you've got? I don't have one of those. And let her explain it to you. And you can begin to see how is she managing her medications, right? Instead of like, Mom, are you taking your pills every day? Right? Here's another, here's a gentle way to come into it. And then you can kind of see. Wow, she's got five of the same pill and Tuesday. You know, it's like, okay, probably not a good thing, right? As her capacities begin to fail, ask the doctor if it's okay if you could sit in on, on the, uh, whenever, you know, she meets the doctor. Can she sit in on that appointment? Mom, would you mind if, if while the doctor examines you, I step in? Maybe at some point, whenever you all both agree, it's fine to do so. And I can take some notes, and then maybe we can review those later. Would that be all right? Or, hey, Dad, you know, we completed, our, we did our will recently, my wife and I did. And, and uh, I was wondering, have you guys done that lately? You know, what's, what's, the, can, what's the state of that? Um, if there's anything that would happen to us, you know, uh, we realized as we were going through this that our assets are going to be stuck in the court system for like a year. What about you? Have you, got, have you had time to think about that? Mom, I've just been marveling at how grateful I am that God gave you this house for 45 years. Have you ever thought about, you know, where, what would you do if, if you got to the point where you couldn't live here anymore? What would you like? Just so we can know, begin to have that conversation. What would be good for you? What do you anticipate? Right? Well, I want to live here the rest of my life. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, no. It's like, okay. Well, thank you. That's great to know, Mom. Maybe we can work toward that together. Now, if dementia is already set in, you need to open communication lines with your siblings, and that could be a real challenge for some people. You need to work together to move into this confusion one step at a time you know depending on what your situation is with my situation my brother wasn't great um, and I had to start documenting our conversations uh, it had to become a little more formal a little less informal um, you know many of our aging parents are uh, hesitant to talk about their finances that one might take a while be patient with it they, they don't want to surrender their independence. They don't want to be a burden to you. And we can all understand that. I don't want to surrender my independence and be a burden either. All right? So it's not, a, it's not a bad thing inherently, right? Yeah, keep your independence as long as you can, Mom and Dad. I'm working with you on that. Right? That's my objective too. It may take some rebuilding trust. Maybe another sibling is better at this than you are. That's fine. Then you all can talk about that. Pray. Gently, consistently seek to have these conversations. And then once the topics begin to open up, you can, you can move into some other issues. So that's the big one, right? The conversation. And this is actually beginning to get a lot of traction in the literature as well. I'm not super well read on this, but you'll begin, begin to see this is really a big issue, the conversation. Um, and we can just grow in that and begin to, begin to move in that direction with our parents. And don't delay this. Once the topics begin to open up, so here's just a few more things. Secondly, help parents begin to prepare for financial, health, 
and residential realities. Finances, health care, residence. What's their money situation? What's their health situation? What's their housing situation? Now, first of all, money and assets. If there are assets, a trusted financial advisor will be important part of the care team. You want to make sure they have a last will and testament. Also, a durable power of attorney. So someone who has the... And this is really good to get signed before they uh, enter into dementia or anything like that, where they can say, you, can, you all can sit down. None of this is being done right on, on the slide, right? You're, you're talking to your siblings about it. You're all agreed. Who will be the one to manage the finances if, if mom and dad can't do it anymore? Mom and dad, who you want, you know? And you work it out. And then you get this and you sign it. And then wherever it gets to the point where the doctor says this person is no longer capable of managing their own finances, then that person becomes the financial manager. So you need to make sure that's documented, this durable power of attorney from a financial aspect. Um, and you know, some of the most vicious family feuds will result from the fact that this wasn't done. And man, it gets brutal whenever money and assets are in place. So you want to clarify that legally beforehand and, and help your parents see the importance of that. If there are a few assets, the financial responsibility is first going to devolve to you as family. And you all need to talk about that with your parents and with your siblings. You need to, you need to figure out, all right, mom and dad, we need to understand what the situation is so we can prepare for it. Secondly, long-term health planning. Some family members need some family member needs to understand the basic health concerns and be prepared to act on the parent's behalf. And this is called the um, health care surrogacy. And you probably want to separate the financial POA from the health care surrogacy um, so that there's not sort of a, so you separate the powers, as it were. So the health care surrogate is the one who keeps up with How's mom's doctor's appointments and how are they doing? What's the latest? And so if there's someone who understands that kind of stuff, that's a good one. If at all possible, have this conversation before health fails so that your parents are able to express their wills and desires. Because that's a big one, the health care surrogacy. Long-term residence in case of declining health. So this is a complex question. Each family has to negotiate this. Recent research shows that uh, keeping parents in their homes is actually probably really a good situation if you can do so. So, you know, put up the rails down the hallway. That's what we did, you know, make sure there's a rail by the toilet, make sure there's no tripping, you know, kind of move stuff out of the way, help them stay in there as long as possible. Stay at home or you can move in with the kids um, or, um, you know, assisted living. But realize this, the more dependent your loved one is, the more vulnerable they are. So uh, if they're in a long-term care facility, uh, don't believe the advertising. You need to go by and show up in times they're not expecting you to go by and show up. And you pull that thing down and you pull the diaper down and you see. And you say, when's the last time was this was changed? Why is she dirty? When's the last time she, was, she had some hydration? You know? So you've got to be, and then develop relationships with the CNAs. You know, become their, we, we ended up getting a job for one of them with a person in our church. We, we love them and they loved us. And when they love you, they love your loved one. So learn, you got to learn all these kinds of things. Kindness to the staff. 
report delinquency up the chain. Um, and then there'll be lots of gospel opportunities. We had, so my mom was, was basically paralyzed, couldn't talk for three years. She's like, what's the use of that? Well, then I get to know Miss Scott, who's across the hall. Miss Scott's an 80-year-old African-American woman. We became best friends. She became my spiritual mother. We started a, we started a um, worship service in the nursing home. She was my armor bearer. I didn't know what an armor bearer was, and she told me what an armor bearer was. She told me when to speak up. She said, son, you're, you're muttering. Speak up. Now, when somebody walks in the door, you go talk to them. I mean, it, it was, she, this woman discipled me. It was fantastic. So here's my mom laying in the bed, and I'm getting discipled as a result of it from Miss Scott. And then I'll tell you that, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you that. <laughs> we would do, but we would have some fun. We had a lot of fun, um, some of the things we did. So, and I would call Miss Scott every day after work, and she would just have me hooting about life in the nursing home. And then she and I would start praying for people. We'd go visiting people, and she had a ministry there. She had a ministry in my life. And I actually spoke at her funeral. Her family invited me. You know, it was just phenomenal. So, anyway, there are all kinds of opportunities here. Loneliness and isolation and depression. I wish I had a clue in on that a little earlier. Uh, I need to kind of wrap up here. You need to be attentive to the details. Are they sleeping a lot? Are they moody? Are they lethargic? Are they withdrawn? Um, you need to be attentive and intentional, right? So walk in and is, is, is the pillow fluffed up, you know? I mean, is she changed? Is there the sheets clean? You know, all these kinds of things. And use, you know, here's the other aspect of the team sport of this. The grandkids... You know, we're all of all the kids involved in every team sport they can get involved in. Here's a team sport. Taking care of your grandparents. That's awesome. And they're going to learn so much there. And, the, and there's a lot of great interaction that will take place as the kids are involved. Cultivate cheerfulness. Romans 12, 8. If, you have, if you're providing mercy, do so with cheerfulness, Paul says. It's fascinating how he puts those two together. Mercy and cheerfulness. Really important. Walk in that room and turn the lights on and shine. Right, And listen to what uh, Archibald Alexander, writing to his aged friends and aging in grace, he said, My aged friends permit me to counsel you not to give way to despondency and unprofitable repining at the course of past events. Trust in the Lord and encourage your hearts to hope in His mercy and faithfulness. Though your earthly comforts and supports are gone, you are heir to an inheritance that will never fade away. Learn to live by faith. No class of people need the supports of faith and hope more than the aged. Amen. The four D's, dementia, depression, delirium, and drugs. Dimension, dementia, depression, delirium. Delirium will often happen with UTIs. They'll go in the hospital, they'll get a UTI, and they'll seem like they're freaking out. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, here it comes. It, it may be a UTI because they haven't gotten enough water. Interesting. Just a note for you. If you, if you see them fall off the plateau, check UTI. Um, so, d dementia, depression, delirium, drugs. The drugs thing, man, they're going to be over-medicated. You need to sit down with that doctor and say, are we sure he has to have that? Sure, are you sure? Are you sure? Do we need that? I mean, aren't those two things doing the same thing? Because <laughs> you know? they don't care. But you should. Work conversations about their spiritual condition into your interactions. And, and open up about your own struggles with your parents. And then maybe they'll open up. 
And finally, take an interest in your parents' expectations concerning retirement. Uh, this is part of the conversation. Here's, here's a little bit of J.I. Packer, and I'll end with this. Retirees are admonished both implicitly and explicitly to relax, slow down. You're not required to run things anymore, to exercise creativity, to take risks. Now at last you can concentrate on having fun and practice self-indulgence up, uh, up to the limit. I see, Packer says, this agenda, as well meant as it is, as wrong-headed in the extreme. Contrary to a biblical perspective, it prescribes idleness, self-indulgence, and irresponsibility as the goal of one's declining years. Having nothing of importance to look forward to will certainly breed a discontented narcissism. It's a recipe for isolating oneself and trivializing one's life with apathetic boredom, becoming one's default mood day after day. Wow. We need to have the conversation, don't we? What are you guys going to do? You're going to just, come on, Dad. You got, you got a lot of life left in you. Right? Think of Paul, 2 Timothy 2. The time of my departure have come. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And this will go both ways. I recently, whenever Miss Scott died, I went to the nursing home expecting to comfort all the people, you know, about Miss Scott's dying. And one of them, one lady sitting outside, she says, like my grandma used to say, we're born, we die, we got to be ready. <laughs> okay, I thought I was going to come comfort you, you know, and the next was like, she made it to heaven before me, that rascal. You know, <laughs> thank you, I needed that, right? So here I am getting comforted by my friends at the nursing home. God's near to the brokenhearted. Family and a care team is important. And then normalize the conversation and the next generation will learn from you what it means to take this opportunity of a lifetime and love your nearest neighbor for his sake. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.